Americans emit 6,558 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. When taking carbon sinks into account, the number is only slighted to 5,769 metric tons of CO2. This is set to raise the world temperature by 1.5 degrees in the next two decades and cause irreversible damage to the intricacies of our global ecosystems. I am Nate Hightoff, and this is the Our Inheritance Podcast, where we focus on stories about climate solutions. We explore different pathways to a future where we not only put less carbon into our atmosphere, but where we actually begin to draw down that amount to a level that is sustainable for all life on Earth. In this episode, we'll explore net zero energy buildings as a climate change solution. As inhabitants of this planet, we face and have been facing since the industrial revolution, the destruction of our own planet at our own hands. The exponential growth of carbon emissions since the industrial revolution has led to long-term potentially irreversible alteration of temperature and weather patterns. So severe that at the United Nations Conference in Glasgow, Scotland, world leaders characterized global warming as an existential threat to human society as we know it. Continuing to state that in order to slow climate change and avoid severe impacts on weather extremes, ecosystems, human health, and infrastructure, a sharp decarbonization methods must be taken in the next 10 years to get on track to limit global average temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius. This consequently means enacting the lofty but absolutely necessary goal of cutting global carbon emissions by 45% between now and 2030. What is the solution? In the words of engineer David Shad, the best way to create energy is to not use it. Think about this fact. A medium-sized hospital building uses more energy than a thousand cars for a year. Let that sink in. Buildings demand 40% of all energy consumption. More than cars, planes, trucks, ships, chemicals, metals, and all other industries combined. Buildings breathe just like creatures. They inhale and exhale air. Inhale and exhale energy. By harnessing the disparity between the inhale and the exhale, we can enact a sharp reduction in harmful emissions. A net zero building is one that produces as much or more energy as it uses in a year. It is a building that is self-sufficient and incorporates numerous design tactics. A large part of that 40% of energy consumption that buildings demand comes from the energy intensive materials used in modern construction such as cement and steel. Efforts to reduce the carbon footprint of buildings has mainly been focused on cutting energy consumption through a mosaic of various design tactics, ranging from electrochromic glass that changes its opacity according to heat, sun, and the difference between indoor and outdoor temperature, to the introduction of natural ventilation principles from nature to to improve the energy efficiency of air conditioning. Researchers have even studied termite mounds and below-ground thermal mass to create natural convection and cooling breezes to be harnessed and incorporated in net-zero buildings. This is Peter Fikowski speaking on his involvement with the Council for Climate Restoration and the net-zero efforts they are involved in. Uh, It turns out the best ones are the ones that nature developed, Um, not because I'm in favor of nature. Of course, I am in favor of nature, but it just happens that those are the really good ones uh, based on that they're 
<clears throat> they fit our three criteria that they're permanent, that they're scalable, and that they're financeable. Yep. And um, and so synthetic, uh, one of them is synthetic limestone, which really surprised me when I first saw it. Um, I thought it was just one more of the uh, uh, back way way back then. Someone had accomplished making baking soda from CO two in the air. Wow! But I thought that's adorable. But huh. right, how much baking soda does anybody use? Right, make a difference. <laughs> exactly. And so when I first heard about the limestone, I put it in the same bucket with the with the uh, baking soda. And then I then I uh, talked to Brent Constance, who developed it. And realize it's it's a it's like orders of magnitude different, <clears throat> and so because it turns out that we use globally fifty billion tons of of uh, mostly limestone of rock for our roads and our buildings. That's, That's seven tons a year for every man, woman, and child. Like like what else do you use seven tons a year of? And the answer is well, sort of water if you include the irrigation water. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so uh, the fact that you can make that rock out of CO2, uh, limestone by weight is half CO2 or almost half CO2. And creating it is not difficult. Uh, if you think about a, a, an oyster shell, an oyster making its shell or a, a, um, you know, a clam, you know, th those are not big complicated creatures. It's very simple to do that chemistry. And so uh, that's, that's uh, one of the two really major ways that we're almost certainly gonna be getting the CO2 back out. As Mr. Fikowski was saying, there have been recent efforts to decarbonize cement and steel in order to have an actual carbon negative impact during the basis of construction. Blue Planet Systems Concrete is taking massive strides that will take maximizing energy efficiency in buildings to a whole new level. This company uses its patented mineralization technology and the only scalable method to date to capture and permanently sequester billions of tons of carbon dioxide. Then diluting the captured carbon dioxide from any source at any concentration, Blue Planet Systems synthesizes it into valuable concrete material ready for construction. This is a game changer for net zero construction as the entire infrastructure of the building will be carbon negative, offsetting the emissions from the rest of the processes. On another note, Minneapolis's very own Peter Schmidt and Katie Jones have wholly committed to the net zero process as they expand construction on their home. The Schmidts, who both have history in energy efficiency, solar energy, and compost, have combined efforts and elected to use hay bales and more to reach a carbon and energy negative goal. Here is Peter Schmidt speaking on the thought behind the Hay House. We built this house just kind of proving concept. Um, you know, there's there's definitely some questions of, you know, the, the same jokes you saw in kind of the news piece when 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 you tell people about tribal houses, they think big bad wolf, it's going to blow down, it's not viable, it's going to mold, whatever. Um, so before we we did this on our own property, she wanted to really test out, get her hands on, it, see what it was all about, um, and and. She, she found that she loved it. It worked really well. The, the thing that it, it, it met for us, so it, it wasn't quite, it's not quite as insulative as a, as a SIP panel. So it's more like an R25, which is still, you know, three times strict in code. We're still going to meet our net zero energy goals, um, but it's a waste product. So, you know, 
we, you'll, you'll hear the words hay and straw used interchangeably, but there's actually a pretty, there's a pretty big difference in those two words. Uh, so hay still has the nutritional element on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it still is actively uh, nutritious for, for eating for, for animals. Uh, once you've cut off that nutritious element, it, the leftover is what, what is straw. It's, it's more, it, it's a waste product. Right. So especially coming from our compost background, we like this idea of, you know, in the future, theoretically, our house can be composted. Now, um, as long as you protect it, it, it doesn't break down in place. So it's not like our walls are going to break down in four years or anything like that. But, um, you know, it, it's this idea of we've, we've now become a, a carbon sink on our house. So not only are we using less electricity, you know, being a net zero electricity home, we're actually going to be a carbon negative home right. um, because we're using because of the materials we're choosing and it's not perfect right the the elements the architecture around the straw bales you can't get away from from all fossil products we have foam in our insulation or in our in our foundation right you know almost all materials that show up are in some kind of plastic container or you know there's a plastic wrap you can't get rid of everything but uh you know this goal is to try to see what we could we push the boundary could we could we push it in a direction to get us closer to a you know, a a multiple sustainability check, not just on energy, but also on materials. The Hay House is located in uptown Minneapolis, and I look forward to visiting it in the spring. Transitioning to sectors of net zero energy in which we can improve. Leadership in energy and environmental design, or LEED, has been the global standard and most widely used green building rating system in the world today. Yet LEED is a design tool rather than a performance measurement tool that focuses on energy modeling rather than energy consumption. LEED lacks climate specificity and has been commonly criticized for a point system that can encourage inappropriate design choices and thus make energy conservation the weakest part of the LEED evaluation. For these reasons, many have recommended the following alternatives to LEED that can prove to be more efficient in producing higher energy conservation in buildings. Energy Star is the same organization with the little Energy Star logo on your fridge and is actually available for buildings as well. Energy Star requires year-round utility bills before approval, whereas LEED can be based on a single measurement going to greater lengths to secure energy conservation status. Second, the Living Building Institute is far more stringent than Energy Star or LEED. Shockingly, so far there are only three buildings certified by the Living Building Challenge Standard. This requires a building at the very least to produce as much energy as it uses, on top of a wide array of other requirements such as treated and captured water, incorporated urban agriculture, and 100% non-toxicity throughout the building. The Living Building Institute does not allow much wiggle room in comparison to LEED and therefore fosters higher productivity. Lastly is the uber-strict German Passive House Rating. It is designed to cut energy use by 90%. Whereas the Living Building Institute has a plethora of requirements for a live building, Passive House is all about energy consumption. All of these alternatives go above and beyond LEED certification to varying extents, yet if we are able to move towards these standards, we will have an increase of net zero and near net zero buildings and therefore emissions. By following in the Pollution Reduction Act of 2015's footsteps, publicly owned utilities will be ensured to reach the 50% renewables portfolio standard target by 2030, complete carbon neutrality by 2045, and state utilized 100% clean electricity by 2045. While lofty, 
This goal is linked to beneficial externalities as it pushes our planet to cut global emissions, creates good quality jobs across the economy for every sector that undergoes a transition to net zero, and reduces air pollution, particularly in deprived neighborhoods. Net zero buildings offer a mosaic of solutions. From green roofs to electrochromic glass, the possibilities are endless. When all such aspects of net zero energy are calculated as a single solution, assuming that 9.7% of new buildings will be net zero by 2050, the integrated opportunity is 7.1 gigatons of carbon dioxide, on top of an averaged $150 to $200 saved in utilities monthly for the consumer. With the impacts of net zero buildings being so clear, I would like to end this podcast with a quote from Mr. Peter Fikowski on what we as people can do to support this climate solution. Well, yeah, but, yeah, the main thing, you know, for, especially for uh, young people like yourself, is to, uh, the critical thing is to ask and even demand that we restore the climate. Um, you know, at your age, we're not expecting you out to go, go out in the trenches and do it yourself. And really, it's like w- when I was your age, we were demonstrating to get out of the Vietnam War. And someone had to do that. And we finally did it. it took a long time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, it's your job to demand that we restore the climate. Because, um, you know, as we get older, our brains turns into, you know, the ossifies turns into bone. And we don't think very, it's really hard to think new thoughts. Whereas at your age, it's an obvious thing to restore the climate. And so it's really important for you and your classmates to talk about that, expand it, uh, turn it into a viral conversation because we just need you to talk about it. I would like to thank the Blake School Environmental Science Program and research support staff for helping source, cite, and fact check this podcast. I would like to thank Peter Fikowski and Peter Schmidt for one, their great work and continuous efforts in carbon reduction, and two, the great conversations we were able to enjoy and their willingness to share my podcast. I'd also like to thank Britt Gangness at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. Mary Oldham Hanneman from the University of Minnesota Institute on the Environment, and Blake Parent, Joseph Barasanzi for taking the time to teach us about climate change solutions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and check out the other podcasts in our series. Thank you.